Welcome to this week's episode of Daily Horror Habit, the podcast for horror obsessives. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you horror movie discussions every Friday for your twisted pleasure. And as always be warned, these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. In keeping with September's theme of space and alien horror, this week's episode highlights what is easily one of, if not the biggest found footage film ever made, that being the monster madness of Matt Reeves' 2008 epic Cloverfield which follows six New Yorkers attempting to flee the chaos caused by a mysterious monster that's invaded. And joining me this week to chat aliens, found footage, and Cloverfield conspiracies are the hosts of the YouTube channel Sledgehammer Horror, that being Ashley and Ken Sledge. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, we're super stoked to be here. Yeah, you know, Ken, I've had the pleasure of, of course, chatting with you a few times before this. Ashley, special welcome to you for the first time on the show. Thank you. As is always tradition here with first-time guests, uh, I'd like to start by asking you if you remember, you know, the first horror movie or moment that left a profound effect on you for uh, for better or worse. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to go with Pet Cemetery. Um, I was eight years old and I was camping and it was raining. So we went in the camper and decided to put something on and that's what I chose. And That's the first horror movie that I remember feeling anxiety and, you know, the the feels that you get from horror movie. And I was just hooked ever since. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted more and more. So I I feel like that's the movie that started it for me, for sure. That's one of those movies that I didn't see until I was older, but I remember the clips that I saw of it on one of those like 100 scariest moments, right? With Gage and everything and just actually going and watching the movie a number of years after seeing those clips and whatnot. It was that thing where it was like, it felt like seeing it for the first time because having context just made it, you know, that much more terrifying other than, of course, you know, zombified child. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I mean, I I always watch other things, you know, like um, gateway to horror, but that's the one that actually like gave me that anxiety feeling and, you know, and I love that feeling. So it sounds like, too, you had the perfect sort of moody atmosphere for watching that right oh, out in yeah. the woods camping and stormy out. I mean, it could almost be any movie at that point. But, you know, right. seeing right. how you Absolutely. picked this King classic uh, just made that that much more memorable, I'm sure. For sure. But uh, in chatting about Cloverfield, um, and I thought that we could kind of all start and just go around and chat about how we find found footage in general, right? Because that's one of those genres that obviously has exploded since uh, Mm -hmm. 2008 and whatnot. And we've seen lots of different types and styles of that. But just generally, I mean, Ken, for you, you know, how does found footage typically land for you? Um, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I, I adore found footage when it's done right. Um, Cloverfield being an example for me, uh, found footage has done extremely well. Um, I don't like when they try to this, God, I sound like such an old man when I say this, um, <laughs> I don't like when they try to like Hollywoodize, uh, found footage films. Um, when they try to wait, do way too much with CGI and they, you know, they try to big budget it up. That's not what found footage is about. Like it's about that. It's supposed to feel cheap. 
it's supposed to feel like I'm watching friends hanging out, doing their thing, videotaping it. Like, and that's a huge feeling you get all throughout Cloverfield is these aren't actors. These are genuine friends that are just hanging out, doing their thing. You feel the love they have for each other. You feel the sadness they have for each other. The laughs they share at the beginning, like it's just such a great movie. And when a found footage movie is done right, I think it can be amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, but like I said, when you try to Hollywoodize the found footage genre, it just it ends up looking like crap. And this is a movie where there are some certain scenes not don't hold up as well. Like some of the debris falling yeah. looks super computer generated. But overall, a lot of this movie looks so we just rewatched this like an hour ago. And we're watching it on our big film projector in my living room. And like we still got that theater experience almost. And like, you know, this we'll talk about it when we get more into the clips, but so many scenes from this movie hold up so well and it's just like wow this is amazing so mm-hmm. yeah I, I for me found footage can be absolutely amazing when it's done right yeah absolutely Ashley how about for you what is the quality of found footage that is like a standout from other horror movies or even you know subgenres um I'm not gonna lie found footage ha- isn't <laughs> my favorite um actually I went into this movie um I was I was pregnant with my son when we went into it and it made me super like dizzy and nauseous and I didn't like it on first viewing, you know, and I was like, I, I didn't enjoy it, but rewatching it um, over the years and just rewatching it like we did, um, I have come to to appreciate it. Um, and like you said, all you know, the quality of just being with friends and, mm-hmm. you know, it feels real. And I like that. Yeah. I like the realness of it, how it feels. So, yeah. A disclaimer to that, too. When she was pregnant with our son, she was so sick. Oh, all I was the time. so nauseous all the time. And it, it just made it was the worst husband thing I've ever done. Like, oh, you're sick <laughs> all the time. Let's go watch. To found film yeah, in the movie theater and my, watch them run with the camera for right. <laughs> experience was bad but and i think that's why i put it so low you right. know but i mean over the years it, it's it's grown on me and mm-hmm. i do have a love for it for sure yeah i mean we'll get into it a little bit later in our chat but like that was one of my big takeaways was this was my first rewatch in the movie like i said before we were recording um i'd seen it when it came out and I think that might have even been like my first found footage horror movie. So mm-hmm. some of the elements of it, like the shaky cam and all of those things, which, yeah. you know, are kind of is the go to criticism of found footage movies was something I wasn't used to. So I think I had more, uh, you know, also not not even uh, being out of high school at that point. I was kind of just like, well, this is just weird. I don't know about yeah. any of this. Like, I, this isn't really for me. But on a rewatch and, you know, it's something that I want to get into right now. Um, it does such a great job of humanizing the monster movie, right? Typically in traditional monster movies, the emphasis is on the monsters, right? But as Ken was saying, this movie does a really great job at setting up these people. And, you know, they might not have the most amazing dialogue, but it is very genuine, I find, that they craft this atmosphere of, oh, these are people that are, you know, either friends or they're people that, you know, operate in the same circles and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So there's really a sense of, these are people being caught on essentially the worst day of their lives, but it doesn't feel like they're just, you know, fodder that happens to have a camera running. It feels like they do enough to flesh out the characters that you care about them more, or they're at least, you know, definable by their traits, which I can't always say about a lot of found footage movies. Sometimes found footage, it's kind of like, oh, 
These are just people that happen to be in the room when the camera started rolling. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't necessarily know about them or care about them outside of, you know, whatever horrific death uh, befalls them later. Right. right. Yeah. Well, and what I love about this movie, too, is there's many moments in the film where they're like, HUD, stop recording. Knock it off. He's like, no, we need to document this. People need to know what happened. <laughs> you can tell them what happened. They're not going to believe it, man. This may be the only thing they ever have. Right. <laughs> you know, like, so, I think HUD is just a genuine, awesome character. Like, like you said, some of the dialogue and it's clunky, but like, I feel like it's real. Like mm-hmm. the part where she's like, what is that? And he's like, it's terrible. It's something terrible. Then they're walking through and they hit that other one, one of the small walkers. And he's like, that was also something terrible. You know, right. like it felt like a real, like he didn't have a big witty comeback. He's like, uh, it's, it's fucking terrible. That's what it is. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, and I just love that. And obviously you got a lot of big name actors and actresses in it. And I can't remember her name, but the one girl, after this, she did the Evil Dead remake in 2013, and uh, the the one that got away in the helicopter. Um, oh, um, was it? I can't think of her name. No, I'm forgetting. Was it Jessica Lucas? Plays Lily. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Jason's fiance. Yeah. Um. Yeah. She. Uh. You know. And I'm watching her, and I'm like, God, she is just so good. Like mm-hmm. she is so good. And um, there's just so many moments in this movie where. Like I said, the dialogue's clunky when it comes to being a movie, but it just felt real. Yeah, for sure. Like you have that goofy friend, like, yeah, the one that makes you laugh. And that's what he has going for him is his humor. Like, that's what it felt like to me. Yeah. Yeah. I have to talk, guys. Because if not, I might literally (laughs) shit my pants in the stairway. Like, I mean, we we have friends like that. Yeah, I am a friend like that. Yeah, you are, for sure. (laughs) Well, that's the thing. I think that they do a good job of capturing the personas that you find in any large friend group, right? right? You're able to really capitalize on that in a way that feels believable, but also just that's another thing with found footage films that sometimes they're like, well, this is a cool format to use, but then does the format necessarily feel like it fits with the story? Where in Cloverfield having that setup of like, oh, it's a going away party. We're going to film these testimonials about why we love this person. That makes sense. And then Mm -hmm. of course- uh, who gets the camera is HUD, who's like, oh, we have to document everything. So, of right. course, yeah. he's not going to put the camera down, um, which right. I think it sells, again, the believability of being in that scenario in a way mm-hmm. that definitely makes this feel like a found footage film that justifies it being found footage. Whereas, right. you yeah. know, we're we're kind of inundated, I think, in this period with found footage movies because it's kind of viewed as, oh, well, it's, it's a cheaper way to make a horror movie, so we can capitalize on this. Right. But... This is a movie that genuinely from its core feels like it could only be told in found footage for, you know, the first mm-hmm. movie in this series. Um, but I even love how like the movie begins kind of ominously, right? You have that uh, U.S. Department of Defense image that yes. pops up basically. And it's like, oh, this footage mm-hmm. was recovered from the area formerly known as Central Park. And that's the only thing that you see for the beginning of the movie. And just that in and of itself, like it asks questions without having to, you know, show the monster too early or anything. I don't like know if that. you noticed, but throughout the movie, that logo comes in and out. Yeah. Oh, really? The US I never Department noticed Justice that. one. Yeah, it keeps popping in and out. Like it's like a legit like government thing. Like it lightly fades in and fades out. And I, like it's little and at the end of the movie, once it crashes out again, it pops back up. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think like the little attention to details like that, I think are just so good. Like so, so good. And mm-hmm. um, we'll get into the whole franchise, but this was the perfect starting point, yeah. I think, to this franchise. For sure. And Clovey is just a badass. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, we can get into it now. Um, so I guess, Ken, for you, like, what is the element of Matt Reeves' approach to a big monster movie that holds up the best for you, you know, all these years later? And obviously there have been countless found footage movies and countless mm-hmm. monster movies since then. But what is the quality of Cloverfield that still stands on its own merit? Knowing what to show and what not to show. Um, look at Godzilla movies. It's focused on Godzilla, like you said. You know, with this movie, you don't get much of the monster. But when you get it, it is so impactful. Like the first time you see it go by the building. What was that, guys? What was? Did you guys see that? You're like, whoa. You know, and like when they're in there and all the things are falling off of it. Mm -hmm. And oh, my gosh, it's so good. And then with the found footage part, like you said, it's not, hey, let's just have some rando with a camera running around because it's cheaper. They obviously had a huge budget for this film. Right. And they didn't go into this going, how can we be cheap with this movie? They had a huge budget and they used it very appropriately. Um, so I guess that that's it for me is the monster. There's nothing scarier than what's in your imagination. Mm-hmm. Um, and the monster is not seen very much throughout this movie. It's more the idea of the monster and seeing the chaos it's created that's scary. And I love And like something that Ashley, you were going to bring it up. So I'll let you talk about it. This happened in New York, you know, after the events of uh, of 9-11. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah. I mean, it it came out in, what, 2008? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, when they're going down and they're like, do you think this is another terrorist attack? Like, obviously, they live in New York City, so they have, like, that PTSD from, mm-hmm. you know, 9-11. And I thought that also felt so real. Like, they see this and... Um, the first thing they think automatically think that it's that's a it's a terrorist attack so that's a really fantastic point i'm glad you brought that up because that was something that you know when i was a kid and saw this that i wasn't connecting those dots right but as an adult and revisiting it that was the element that i think really solidified that this is basically half disaster movie and half monster movie in a way that you know i think is really smart considering, like Ken said, how little the monster we see. I think that it's even less than three minutes of time mm-hmm. the monster's on screen. But in that, you know, Reeves, I think it shows as a storyteller, he knows how to make this engaging on an emotional level or human level, right? Mm-hmm. right. And those parts of capturing their genuine reactions to, oh, is this a terrorist attack? Mm-hmm. Um, I think is something that is able to carry the tension through this movie you know, up until the next Statue of Liberty head gets thrown at them or they come face to face with the monster. Right. I was going to say with the stat, like, I know that was in every single trailer. That's still probably my favorite shot in the it, whole film. It looks good. They did it, it looks good. so good. And like, how frightening would that moment be mm-hmm. to see Lady Liberty's head coming flying down the street? Like, and it hits the building and but oh my gosh, like, Every time I, I got little emo goosebumps right now. Like every time I <laughs> yeah. see that scene, like I, it's just, it's such a great impactful scene. Um, and there's little moments in this movie that I think are super huge too. Like when they finally meet up with the uh, military, the national guard and they're like, what is that? And he's like, well, if they know they're not telling us and whatever it is, it's winning. Mm-hmm. Like that part to me is just like, whoa, you like that. How scary is it that these people that we've all grown up idolizing you know men and women in uniform you know these are the people that, that are in trouble they fight that's who fights for us yeah. that's who has our back um and they're saying they're losing like to me you know that's terrifying right you know to hear our armed forces say whatever it is it's winning 
is a, is a moment for me growing up in a, a family that was very military oriented, uh, grandfather in the Navy, best friend in the guard. You know, to hear something like that is crushing to know that these men that are so prideful, men and women that are so prideful and ready to fight are saying whatever it is, it's winning is a very scary moment to hear, you know, a commander saying something like that. Yeah. Well, and I think more so to your point, right? It's they would never say that under any situation that they could have anticipated, right? Because they exactly. would, you would never say something like that because that admits something that you would think that they never would, which if anything, it kind of just shows how already we're minutes or hours into this uh, event and it already looks like we've lost. And what is that? Yeah. What are the ramifications of that for not only the rest of the country, but the world at that point? Mm-hmm. And especially saying it to civilians, you know, like that's even deeper. Yeah. That breach of sort of like the chain of, I don't know how you would say right. it, I guess the decorum, right? It's the idea that yeah. there that there's nothing that we can't face. There's nothing that, there's no challenge too great. And an hour into this, it's already like, well, we're already thinking about leaving the city and abandoning the city, which, you know, I think it does a great job again of just instilling fear without having the monster on screen every yes. 90 seconds or something. Because honestly, I think that if there was even a couple minutes more of the monster, it would take away from elements of the movie that now I can appreciate a lot more considering, you know, it's not even 90 minutes, but again, a majority of the runtime is focused on people and chaos and seeing how people respond to those. Yeah. Survival. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And again, like you don't need to show the monster for 90 minutes for the monster to be scary, you know? And I think that that's why people lose. um, I think that's why the luster gets lost on Godzilla on King Kong. That's why people don't consider these horror movies because it doesn't seem as scary when you have the monster in the forefront as long because you start to sympathize. Um, you start to kind of, you know, watch what this monster is doing. Like they're not the villain. Right. You know, they're the main character at this right. point. They're the main. Yeah. So yeah, good, completely good. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to sound smarter than I am, but you just come out and say it. Like they're <laughs> the main character, you know, and with Cloverfield, Clovey is not he's just a big scary monster that's giving birth to even scarier monsters mm-hmm. and what do they nothing about this movie you don't know shit yeah you know nothing about you know that. nothing about anything like what happens to uh lily what happens when you get bitten like you know like there's so many things that they could do a continuation of this of this cloverfield they could make an amazing sequel that doesn't even have to be far-fetched follow 10 minutes after the events of the bombing with Lily's helicopter leaving and follow right. the events of Lily and see what happens after this. Um, she survived. You know, right. She alive. So, and I'm still on the camp that, uh, was it Jason? The brother. Yeah. Yeah. He didn't die. You think he survived? He survived. You, he survived on the, well, he might not have survived now because it's been like 14 years. He's the still bridge. in the water. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I think I, you, again, you could have made this and, I know that it's kind of all the rage right now because The Walking Dead is huge, but you could have made this a Walking Dead-esque franchise where the next chapter is Jason hurt trying to find his family and friends and fi- figuring out that Lily's still out there. So he's going after looking for her. And all the- and again, Clovey doesn't have to have a huge part of it. You can have those little things. They're just as scary as Clovey. Those things are very scary. And when they, it's just like a zombie. When they bite you, something happens. Yes. You know, so I, I would have loved to have seen this movie continued with those characters or Lily going back, fi- figure like getting a radio call from Jason, you know, anything. They had cell phones then. Yeah. Jason's cell phone calls her. And so she knows he's okay. So she's making her way back to the city. Like, I don't know. If, if you need some help, guys, uh, over there, was it Universal or no, uh, Bad Robot? 
bad robot, robot if you need me hit me up I'll, I'll <laughs> give you some pointers on what we can do here but in talking more about you know clovey and the i guess we'll call them the little parasite bugs yeah. you know i read an interview with uh neville page who's the creature designer on clovey and those little bugs and he described the temperament of clovey as being a newborn that is confused and looking for its mother rather than it being this full grown monster that, right. you know, has a sense of how it should operate as a predator or how it, you know, should hunt in these things, which again, kind of fuels the chaos that they capture on the ground in a way that allows it to be as sporadically chaotic as it is, but it feels purposeful, I guess, in terms of the pacing of the movie, right? Because it's like they try to cross the bridge and all of a sudden this creature is faced with a bridge full of things it doesn't realize. So yeah, it's going to feel that that's a threat. Um, mm -hmm. And I really like how that temperament of it just like being confused, being like a bull in a china shop, you know, mm -hmm. that fuels that chaos in a way yeah. that makes it genuinely terrifying. Whereas in some other monster movies, like we've mentioned, it might not be because those monsters, a Godzilla, a Gamora, whatever, they have these characteristics tied to them mm -hmm. that, you know, try to make them more personable. But mm -hmm. in this movie, in Cloverfield, you know, Clovey is just this scared animal and you yeah. really can't predict what it's going to do next. And, you know, talking about the parasites, those are probably, I don't know if I would say scarier, but they are the thing that I think I've never had an answer to the questions about them. But if anything, that makes it more terrifying. Like right. we see what they do. But right. their purpose yeah. is never explained, right? It's the like, what is their relation? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, those are horrible. The wound that she had on her, you know. And that's another scene that I love is when she's like, HUD, and he turns around and her eyes are bleeding. Yeah. I don't feel so good. We got a bite! You know, and everybody, you know, comes in on her like. And then, yeah, and then she goes behind and we kind of see it in, you know, behind the curtain, but we don't really know what happened to her. Right. And it's just, oh, man. You're right. Those little things are so terrible. And obviously, you know, Clovey is, and like you said, it's a baby. Yeah. You know, at the end, you see the satellite drop into the water, you know, which is what they described as what woke Clovey up was the satellite falling into the water and it woke up the, you know, the monster. Um, and I just think that that's brilliant. And I wish we could have gotten a real continuation to this film. And I'm not saying anything bad about 10 Cloverfield Lane. The wor I feel like 10 Cloverfield Lane is like Halloween 3 season of The Witch. The worst part about it is, is its name. Right. You know, like I love that movie. John Goodman is that is one of the best performances I've ever seen was him in that movie. Like his performance in 10 Cloverfield Lane. But it had it didn't tie into it's unless you like get the into the, even then. But even if you get into the mythos of what Cloverfield is, how it's all different um, alternate universes and alternate realities and all that. Like, I don't want that. I don't, I want to know what happened with Clovey. Like, I know they nuked him, but did he make it out? You see him jump up and grab the helicopter. Like, oh, another great scene. Right. But for found footage, usually when you have CGI and found footage, it ends up looking dated mm -hmm. even after a couple of years. But we're what, 14 years later? Yeah. And this, the worst problem I have is some falling debris looks, the paper looks fake. Like the, the monster, the explosion, that looks awesome. It mm -hmm. looks so good. I think a big reason why the CGI holds up better than some is that again, like Reeves uses the found the elements of found footage, like the camera, like it fading in and out of focus periodically. Right. He uses night vision, mm -hmm. right, to capture the parasites in the subway. And those aren't revolutionary ways of deploying found footage, but 
it's a smart way to hide something rather than showing it outright. And, you know, mm-hmm. it furthermore kind of fuels that chaos of the fact that these are people that are scrambling, that are panicking. They're not going to have the same, uh, <laughs> I don't know, the same dexterity with the camera they would under normal circumstances. Right. So the fact that they can play into, oh, this is a terrified person on top of the fact he's screaming, holy shit, constantly. <laughs> um, it is the thing where I think that that's just a smart storytelling mechanic mm-hmm. that he uses. Wow. And, you know, not showing too much right out the gate is, of course, always uh, what we yeah. would prefer with a movie like this. Um, but again, like those parasites not having an answer for their relationship with Clovey. What do they do to people? You know, Ken, you were mentioning about how the National Guard is saying like, oh, we're we're already losing. Like the fact that they've identified that she has a bite and they know what's coming, but civilians and the audience themselves don't like that makes that even more terrifying, yeah. I find, in that it's like, well, they know it's coming. We know it's not going to be good. And then just seeing it, you know, unfold with her, I guess. Are we in agreement? She basically explodes. Yeah, yeah that's what <laughs> it looks like. Yeah. yeah. And what sucks about that is like, I-, I love how they set that scene up. Cause like, yeah, we know she's bit and it, we're just thinking, you know, she's like, I'm dizzy guys. Well, she's been bitten. She's lost a lot of blood. Right. She hasn't gotten the right amount of medical treatment. But what did, you know, when she got bit, like what did they put in her? Right. Like, what? And then it hits you like a ton of bricks when she's like HUD. And right when he turns and you see her with the blood, you know, coming yeah, out of her you know, eyes. You know, at that point, like she's, she's done. Uh, I, I don't feel so good. Yeah. We got a bite. And they just, <laughs> oh my gosh, that scene is so epic. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about this movie is like, usually with found footage, because they don't have a big budget, they have a budget for one scene that makes you go, oh, you know, like this movie has like five or six great scenes, you know, the bridge scene, mm-hmm. the statue scene, um, this scene right here. Um you know, all these scenes that just made like when you see the buildings, you know, when it's fallen, he's like, that's not her building. Right, guys. He, he, and he won't get an answer. Yeah, that that part right there when they want to have to like jump over. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, no way. There's no way I'm doing that. And again, like HUD being him, like he's like, maybe we can come up the other building and jump from the roof over to that one. And they start walking. He's like, guys, wait, that's a terrible idea. And then it comes yeah. and he's like. <laughs> No one ever listens to a goddamn thing I say. And now the one time I say this, they actually listen to what I'm going to say. Like, I just thought that was awesome. And HUD, I think he's for you see his face less than you see Clovis throughout Mm. the movie (laughs) and everything he's in still to this day. I'm like, oh, it's HUD. Yeah. You know, like that's how I identify him. He's so great in this movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's the type of thing where, again, there's not a lot of the monster, but. I find that it's such a smart use of showing just enough that it's memorable. Even if, you know, what's actually unfolding is not something you haven't seen in another monster movie. It's more sure. about the way it's captured and presented, right? Mm-hmm. It's more about capture. I don't know, with a lot of those monster movies, when they try to show the human perspective, I think probably the 2014, I think it was, uh, Godzilla movie did the best job of capturing the ground perspective then yeah. pro- probably since Cloverfield mm-hmm. um, and just capturing the monumental size of not only the creature, but of seeing chaos and damage unfold mm-hmm. at that ground level. And, you know, that cl- the uh, Statue of Liberty shot of the head, right? That is one that, you know, just the fact that he zooms in once it lands in front of him and he zooms in on the claw marks yes. and these things where it's like just little moments like that, it adds so much texture to something mm-hmm. that otherwise it's like, you know, of course, it's Statue of Liberty's head, but it's like seeing damage, but being able to identify like the points of damage on specific buildings and things like that. It just it adds so much more tension to that disaster element that, you know, really does hold up a majority of that film. And again, yeah. like 
I couldn't believe how well that was um, executed on. And it's something that I don't necessarily hear a lot of people praising Cloverfield for. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's very, of course, a monster movie and people highlight the fact that it's a monster movie. But I found that just the disaster element and the chaos that ensues in capturing that, that all feels equally, if not more so terrifying. I mean, mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, people dealing with natural disasters and those things, a lot of that that plays out in the film does is not that like far-fetched or it's not Hollywoodized, if you will. Oh, yeah, people were looting and, that, and you know, it's just, so typical like you know there's this this is happening and people, people are, are still gonna try to self-benefit yeah for sure but I, and I, again you talked about how it's not so far-fetched you know he's trying to find the love of his life his phone battery dies so he breaks into an electronic store to well, steal a phone I mean, battery they already really broken right but i love that the scene again because hud he's just so genius and when they're in there he's like all right Guys, it's time to leave the electronic store. Yeah. Like I can't every well, time we would go to a store, we go to any type of electronic section to this day. I'm like, all right, guys, it is time to leave the electronic store. Even when they walk in, he's like, I think it's closed. <laughs> yes. yes, it's it's awesome. And I just love that. You know, um, you know, Rob, he's just like, I gotta get a hold of her. I gotta figure it out. The last thing I said to her was have fun with Travis. Right. Yeah, I gotta fix this. You know, I gotta make this right. Um, and again, like we're talking about HUD. We all have that friend when he's like, turn the camera off. And he just sets it down. And she's like, they slept together. He's like, why wouldn't you tell me? And then the next scene is really him like, guys, you're not going to believe he's this. Telling but they slept together. Yeah, he's telling every single person <laughs> at the party about it. Like, yeah. gosh, it's, it's just, the writing is so realistic to me. For sure. Because the first thing he does is, you know, he didn't even shut the camera off. He just sat it down. And the first thing he does is go start telling everybody around, guys, you're never going to believe this. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's a great point about especially found footage, right? Where if you're going to try to establish these character relationships, you know, you don't always have to have the best writing, but you should have writing that feels realistic. Yes. You should have characters and have emotional arcs to those characters. You know, again, this is not to try to put down the entire subgenre, but that's often an element of found footage that I don't always associate with in that, oh, this film has a strong emotional arc or a strong drive to continue forwards mm-hmm. other than just... We have to capture what's happening because at a certain point, it's like, well, I don't know how believable that is. But with this movie, you know, having that arc of, you know, Rob and Beth and having that genuine emotional, you know, connection between them and trying to rekindle something that it sounds like Rob was probably a little at fault at (laughs) in terms Mm -hmm. of that not working out. But, you know, him saying that line that Ken mentioned where it's like the last thing I said was have fun with uh, so and so Um, Mm -hmm. and just that comes off very, you know, like genuine regret. I, that right. can't be the last yeah. thing I say to her. We have to go scale that that bit collapsed building to find her because otherwise this will haunt me forever if, you know, he lives long enough to be haunted by anything. Right. right. And that's another part when they're down in the subway. He's like, so let me get this straight. Our options are die in the tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> die, like that. die here or die up there. Yeah. yeah. It was like, He's yeah, like, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's essentially much. it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like at, it, all the characters that there are, you find someone that you can relate yes. to. And again, I, one thing you just said, Jay, I don't need Oscar winning dialogue in a found footage film. I don't want Oscar winning dialogue in a found footage film because then it doesn't feel authentic. Mm-hmm. And that's the whole point of a found footage film is the authenticity of how we're supposed to feel when we're watching it. Um, and this movie doesn't have that. It doesn't have the big emotional speeches. Like even when he, when his mom calls and he has to tell her that Jason died, he walks away, you know, and you get a very little bit of the conversation. 
but you don't get a lot of it, you know, because again, that's not what this is about. We're not trying to focus on big emotional speeches or anything like that. Like we're focused on what would happen in real life in the situation. And this is a movie that I really feel captures that essence. Well, yeah. I mean, that moment is a great example because it captures just his emotional reaction to that phone call, right? It's mm-hmm. it's a faraway shot that zooms in. It's just him basically with his head in his hands and then him and uh, his brother's fiance basically just hug and they have this moment. And, you know, that in and of itself feels more indicative of found footage, right? It's capturing something that feels genuine, that doesn't have mm-hmm. the big speech like we've been saying. And Hut at that moment, he's like, I feel like I should say something to him, but I don't know what to say. Again, that's what we always like at a funeral when we go to our friends, you know, funeral for our friends and um, we see the people that we love. Like, what do I say? What what do I say to try to make them? Oh, how you feeling? I'm here for you. The things that they've heard a thousand times right. today. That doesn't make you know, it any better. How you doing, bud? You still have to say it. Right. You know, what what can I say to make him feel? He just lost his brother and he's having to tell that to his mom. He has to tell his mom she lost her son. What do I say here? Yeah. Well, I mean, even when he did like die on the bridge or maybe die yeah. on the bridge, we don't know. But <laughs> allegedly. 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 Um, I was like, he really didn't show like he just ran off and like was trying to find a phone because he was trying to get a hold of Beth. And I was like, I didn't really see any emotion from him at that point. And people handle shock in different ways. This is true. That's why it's not like a big movie where you get, like you said, him screaming. Yeah. Like, you don't, you don't get that because it's not realistic. That's Mm -hmm. why. Yeah. Because now I've just lost my brother. I got to do something to keep me going. Yeah. I have to keep moving or I am going to break down and die. You know, like, and it's just, I, I, I allegedly lost hearsay, (laughs) you know, you know, we don't know. I I'm under the boat that are under the boat i don't want to be under the boat i'm under the <laughs> assumption that jason lives i'm, I'm on that I'm, I'm gonna stay on that i'm gonna die on that hill he's alive we're all entitled to our own hills right um i think that also you know just taking it back to the bridge section for a minute um just overall like that moment of them getting separated in the bridge like that moment in and of itself like that it was probably one of the scariest moments in the movie because again mm-hmm. you know being older and watching the movie and being at whether it be i don't know shows or just busy venues or something and like there's some semblance of a commotion and you get caught against a crowd it's not only just being separated from people in a chaotic moment but like i better not fall because there's 50,000 people behind me that might trample me or something right. like that and the movie capturing those moments in a way that feel just as terrifying. Like I love how this movie shows a glimmer of Clovey. And then we get a moment that is like real world grounded, genuine terror. And then Mm -hmm. you get another brief snippet of Clovey. And it just allows this movie to have a pacing that I didn't appreciate originally. And I don't know if this movie gets enough credit for how it's paced and how it really, it feels like a masterclass really Mm -hmm. of waiting until that final act to show the monster. Cause you know, we've mentioned that you see glimmers of it, but it's hidden by some smart camera uh, tricks and whatnot yeah. Yeah. or the ways in which the camera's manipulated because you do see it, but it's always that thing where I have to see it a little bit longer. Just give me a half yeah. second longer or a little bit more in focus, which I love. And, you know, a lot of horror movies, not even found footage could learn from that. I think in terms yes. of not showing too much too soon, which I sound like kind of a fuddy duddy always harping on that, but really, you know, the longer no, it takes right. for me to fully see it, you know, the better the overall movie ends up being. Mm-hmm. And if I see the monster right off the rip, there's not that what is going on feeling. Yeah. You know, because that is scary. You know, like when they're all in the electronics store and everybody stops and they're watching the TV, 
you know, you're seeing Clovey, but like you said, he's going in, weaving in and out of buildings. And even these people, like you're feeling like a genuine, cause I mean, they got SpongeBob playing on the TV right, right. next to it, <laughs> you know? Right. So it, it has that real life feeling to it of what the hell is happening. And um, I, I just think it's more impactful at the end when you, you know, he sees him over top of him and you get the full. I was like, what about you see this? Like you said, Jay, I think you said we'd see this movie or this creature on the screen for less. Let's just say less than five minutes of the total film. But when you get that one steady shot there at the end. Yeah. When he's over when top HUD, of him and you get to see him and you see the things on the side of him. Yeah. The creature design, like you get to see him for that short amount of time. But when you finally look up and see him, how you have the the swelling, like it looks like it's breathing at first, you think that's its eyes. Yeah. And then underneath it, you see the eyes looking right at you. Like that whole moment to me is humongous. Like that whole moment is just amazing. And for a creature that you show on screen for less than five minutes to put that much detail Mm -hmm. shows the commitment that they had to making this an amazing, not just found footage film, amazing horror film yeah because at that moment when you see you know hud runs back and they're like hud and you think they're yelling at him because he's going for the camera again and yeah but he's like what and he turns around and he's clovey's right there like oh man what an amazing moment for sure well the thing that i love too about that is that you can tell that the planning and the design and the you know the i guess the morphology behind it you know they did all that legwork that goes into a traditional monster that would be in a traditional monster movie where you're seeing them for, you know, 65, 75% of the film. But in this, you barely see the monster, but those details are there. And you're right, Ken, that's why it's so memorable. And, you know, to Ashley's point, the fact that you can see like it, those big, I don't know, we want to call them sacks that are basically filling with Mm -hmm. air as if that has something to do with its uh, respiratory system, just like little details like that. It makes it so much more memorable. Um, And one shot that I love, which is when the national guard first shows up, and you get that shot of Clovey's leg and then the parasites start basically skittering down the leg and stuff or maybe even coming mm-hmm. out of the leg. And then the National Guard lights up, lights it up. Um, just like little moments like that, that ask more questions yeah. than answers that we ever get. But it's, I mean, 14 years later, it sticks in my mind about, oh, what is the story with this? I could go for another few minutes of that maybe to understand. But if we got those answers, would it be exactly. as memorable? You know. I'm always of the camp, probably not. Um, But, you know, Ashley, I've been curious to ask you because you mentioned, you know, um, how the shaky cam didn't, it kind of made you nauseous in these things. How did that hold up for you? Did you find that Cloverfield has an excessive amount of shaky cam? Did you find it to be maybe a detriment to the movie? Or did you think that it was, you know, perfectly acceptable for the amount that's in you know, a found footage. Movie. Remember that right now you're asking not pregnant. Yeah. Ashley. So on first this is viewing, this is on first viewing <laughs> um, I thought that it was way too much. Um, it was not a fun car ride home. Yeah, no, but on, <laughs> on, you know, rewatching it throughout the years, like I feel like it's, it's not as bad as, mm-hmm. you know, more other found footage films. And, um, and I like that it's not so shaky, you know, it's, it's not as bad. For sure. How about you, Ken? Do you find the Cloverfield is an example of uh, egregious or perfectly acceptable shaky cam? Perfectly acceptable Mm -hmm. because it doesn't do it for no reason. You know what I mean? Like when the camera's shaky in this, it isn't to add suspense or hide something. Like it's shaky because they're running or 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 they're getting yeah or he's falling yeah because HUD falls all the (laughs) damn time. The dude's got an inner ear infection before (laughs) this happens. I swear to God, his balance is way off. Good cameraman, Um, bad uh, bad (laughs) bad runner. Right. right but it's just like he uh 
they, they did an amazing job of just shaking when needed. I feel like they may have used steady cams actually through a couple different shots that we were watching. I'm like, that is extremely well shot yeah. for being found footage, which to me, I never lost the found footage feeling though. Oh no, absolutely not. Like I always had the feeling of, um, and I don't know, we need to watch the behind the scenes. We were going to before this, but we have kids that are not allowing us to do that. <laughs> and um, I want to know, like, did, how did they do that? Like, was he walking with a cameraman doing his lines? Did they put his lines in and post. Was he actually holding the camera? Like, I would love to know how they did that with HUD. Like, it might be a mixture of all of those. I things, think it is. Honestly. I'm telling you, there's a couple of scenes that really look steady cam, mm -hmm. which is fine because they did it well. They hit it well. Um, but you're right, especially for a movie that's got this big of a budget. I don't want to see this yeah. the whole time they're standing there having a conversation you know like that it doesn't do anything for me um a found footage film has nothing to do with how shaky the camera is to me right that doesn't add any suspense it doesn't take away or give anything to the film um it's just the way that the acting is the way the atmosphere that's what makes a found footage film for me yeah you know that was the reason i asked you guys that was because that was something i always associated with cloverfield because you know that's just what I feel like the general chatter about that movie has always been, oh, is the introduction of the shaky cam, which if people are saying that, I guess, right. to begin with, it's not the first found footage film and it's you know not even the 10th at that point. Um, but just the no. idea that this movie is a bad example of that, I find to be strange. Like you'd said, the shaky cam is always associated mm -hmm. with an action. And a majority of the time, mm -hmm. you know, it doesn't abide by that shakiness, right? It is a few moments right. and it feels like it adds to the, you know, the intensity of that situation. And, you know, mm -hmm. I guess I'm of a mind where I'm okay with them using things like Steadicam or even some shots, you know, it having basically a found footage filter over it, but it's clearly a traditional camera. Yeah. Like I'm fine with that just because, you know, if it's in the best interest of good storytelling, then I'm totally cool with that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I guess I'm not as rigid, hard and fast with the rules of, you know, found footage or yeah. you know, big air quotes, the rules of that. Because at the end of the day, if it ends up right. being a headache, I'm probably going to start tuning out. Whereas in this, like, again, it's right. only deployed at like a few moments that if anything, they heighten those moments. It heightens the chaos, the tension, the fear of not knowing what's going on. Is the cameraman even right. alive um, at that point? And, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's one of those elements that makes it far more believable. And when you think about, again, you've mentioned a couple of times, just the budget 25 it's like a 25 million dollar budget which i would say at that point was the biggest budget of a found footage film probably um, sure. yeah. overall though you know to what you said at the beginning of the episode ken about it being you know not wanting a found footage film that is overly hollywoodized if you will like even for 25 million dollars yeah. this movie doesn't you know, feel overly polished, which I think is key, right? To being a man on the street sort of right. capturing of this cataclysmic event. Well, and I think they use the budget for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. You know, um, a lot of the effects, you know, obviously that costs money and to make them look the way that they did to make them look more, I'm sure that they just sprinkled CGI over a lot of the practical stuff that they wanted to do. Those monsters all look practical to me. I know that there's a couple CGI you can tell, especially during the first scene when they're jumping on the national guardsmen. Um, but another scene I, I do want to jump into really quick because I think that it's just one of the most realistic scenes to me is when they're dropping the bombs on Clovey and they're up in the helicopter and HUD's like, they got him. That's right, baby. Yeah. Like 
that would be me at that moment. Yeah. Like that 100% would be me. And just like watching it now, I, I was waiting for that. Like when they're like, they're lighting them up, they're lighting them up. I'm like, man, if that was me, I'd be going ham. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'd be cheering and hooting and hollering. And for him to finally actually do that when in the helicopter right before the jump scare right there was such an amazing moment to me. I'm like, that's, that's real. That's realistic to me is having the obnoxious guy also obnoxiously happy by the fact that we just, in his mind, we just took down the monster. Yeah. Well, what, when he gets taken down, he's like, oh, God. You know, he's like praying oh, yeah. pretty much. Like, Jesus Christ, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Please, God, I'm so sorry. Like, ugh, hurts my chest. Not only that, like capturing what feels very genuine. Like, that's the other thing, too, is why I think, um, you know, while I don't know, I can go to bat for uh, T.J. Miller's performances out, outside of movies, right? Um in film though like he has a very distinct voice has a very distinct sense of humor and at the same time though like he has kind of a in in every man's in everyday man's kind of voice in the sense that like all of his reactions to what's happening they feel genuine like him going oh my god yes. holy shit holy shit the entire movie like that would be any mm-hmm. of us and no matter what anybody says like yeah. oh it's annoying it, there's a lot of it it's like that would be your reaction in that moment None of us are going to right. not be reacting I would that be way. Like, oh my gosh. I said, holy shit, three times on page 15. Guys, we got to go back right. and rewrite this real <laughs> right. situation so I can't say holy shit again. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's again, that's what I love about it. You know, it may be repetitious at times, mm-hmm. but we all have ticks. We all have work. You know what I mean? Like, that's, I say, uh, and you know what I mean? Way yeah, yeah. too much. <laughs> and if I was legit in a situation, that's what I would be saying a right. lot. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Well, also, you know, talking about the budget and the scale and the scope of this movie and the fact that that jump scare at the end after they bomb Clovey, you know, that is probably the most the biggest scale jump scare I've ever seen. Right. Because quite literally takes up the whole Mm -hmm. screen. And, you know, it is that moment of it not only looks cool because you get to again or actually for the first time really come face to face with Clovey, but also just the fact that, you know, I'm always in awe of just the scale and the scope of that scene. The fact it fills the entire mm-hmm. screen, the fact that it jumps through the clouds and the debris and all these things. And, yes. you know, it's shocking because of, you know, it's reactionary, but at the same time, it's a realization that, oh, the National Guardsmen were losing 45 minutes ago. Imagine how much more they're losing now if this bomb that has no effect on this crazy monster. Um, and I think that, you know, that's a really great moment to have right before you get not only, you know, HUD getting ripped in half, but then you get that really heartfelt moment with, you know, uh, Beth and Rob, right? They get that moment where they yeah. get to say how they feel. Um, and it's just this kind of tender moment between them. You know, it's it's a, a romantic ending, even if it is like kind of a dark downer of an ending between mm-hmm. the two of them. But there's one thing that I think puts the film into perspective a little bit that really does never let you lose that thread right of their love for each other which is periodically the footage cuts between you know the current moment and their date footage from i i I suppose it's months ago or weeks ago but you know yeah Yeah. it was like yeah so then you know on this ferris wheel having this date this kind of like pristine idyllic date between them but then of course as ken said earlier you have the satellite falling in the background and everything and Mm -hmm. i just i love that the movie doesn't let you ever really forget that human core which is something that you know mm-hmm. I find quite oftenly gets lost with a lot of these found footage movies. Well, it also goes from the very last thing I said to her was good luck with Travis to the very last thing I said to her was I love you. 
Right. You know, so you had that juxtaposition of uh, have fun with Travis to I love you, like two completely opposite sides of the spectrum. And, you know, they're with each other at the end and they're holding each other and you know it's coming. Because before you heard on the radio, if you can hear the alarm, you're in <laughs> the blast zone. Uh, you're in the, the fire zone or whatever they call it, the blast zone. Mm-hmm. You know, so you know it's coming. You know that they're not gonna make it. Like you you know that it's gonna happen. And they're documenting, you know, their last whatever. Right. And him even, like I love how they kept like how he takes the camera and he shows himself and he can't compose himself, so he shuts the camera off and then he brings it back up and hi. Uh, my name is, you know, Robert or whatever. And it's just like that whole scene is just like, wow. Mm-hmm. You know, he shows himself. Then he has to take a deep breath and put the camera down and then bring it back up because he knows he's dying. Right. He knows that he's about to die. And if you guys are finding this, you know way more about it than I do. Well, the most heartbreaking line of that for me is there. I think it's Beth who says, I don't know why this is happening. Right. And I mean, that yeah. that makes it so much more upsetting. Right. Because it, it very much, yeah. you know, it kind of strips it down to the core of what everybody's feeling is that, you know, everybody's terrified, obviously. But at the end of the day, nobody knows why this is happening. And the fact that the worst day of your life could be happening and there's no real rhyme or reason behind it that people would understand in their immediate life. I mean, that makes it all the more terrifying or just heartbreaking. Would have been even crazier if she was like, I don't know why this is happening. And then Clovey's face came down in the tunnel. I was like, because you were home. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've heard this before. <laughs> but yeah, it's there, like you said, like there is that idea of not everything is written in stone. We're not always going to know why we're having these bad days or why right. bad things happen to good people, you know, the old saying. But well, she tells Rob, she was like, we're just going to hang out here until it's over. Right, you Rob? Know? Right, Rob. And yeah. he's just like, you know, kind of agreeing, but he knows. Yeah. She does too, but. <laughs> Just give me that false sense of security, yeah. please. We don't have much time. Let let me feel safe with you for a minute. Well, right. If anything, you know? that's the most in dialogue that's like indicative of two people that, you know, know each other intimately, right? More so than just friends or casual mm-hmm. acquaintances. It's the type of thing where it's like, well, they're basically having this unspoken agreement of what's going to happen, but it's more so just like, let's be in each other's presence for as long as we can. And we know that that's not going to be for very much longer. Um, I guess- I'm curious, like, do you guys think that there is something that more modern found footage films could learn from Cloverfield? You know, we're talking about this movie's 14 years old. We've had countless, countless found footage films since that. You know, when you start to get further and further away from a movie that is really, it feels like a pillar of a subgenre, right, as Cloverfield is. Mm -hmm. There's a tendency, though, sometimes the further you get removed from those newer movies of that subgenre begin to maybe lose the thread of what was established or introduced. Um, I guess, Ken, for you, like Mm -hmm. what is an element that more modern found footage films could be reminded of that Cloverfield did so well? Uh, Tell not show. It's a lot different with found footage than I feel with Hollywood. I Hollywood films it's show don't tell, you know, like that's how I feel with those. Like you don't have to tell me the whole story. Show me some things. Let me connect the dots with this. Tell, don't show. And I feel like, like you said, the two pillars to me are Cloverfield and the Blair Witch Project. These are two movies that really show you how a found footage film should be made. Mm -hmm. And the Blair Witch Project took it even farther by having um, actors with nothing on their resume. Um, So you didn't know if this was found footage or, you you know, well, you also have the component of it came out so long ago. You didn't have the Internet and mm -hmm. all that. And like that, that's what made that's what made it so. Oh, the mythology yeah. is going to outlive the movie. Yeah. For sure. 
Um, but those movies are, like you said earlier, they're masterclass on how to make a found footage film. And it comes to the point to where, you know, you had your uh, Blair Witch Project, you had your Paranormal Activity, you had your Cloverfield. And then, you know, everybody started biting on that because what do they do? You know, when something is a hit, they start to do that. You have, you know, when a slasher is in, you know, slashers are running cinema. When you know you have your insidious, your sinister, your conjuring, that's what's running cinema. Well, for a while there, we had the found footage was running the underground. Everything coming out was found footage, even if it didn't have to be. You know, they would do movies that were filmed as found footage, but weren't a found footage film. It was just a movie that was filmed by a camera like that, acting like a found footage film. We got to remember the whole point of a found footage film is the footage was found (laughs) afterwards. Like, that's the point. Um, So don't do a found footage film just to make a movie look like a home video. That's not the point of what found footage is. So um that that would be my big thing yeah for sure. don't do it to make a home movie movie do it if you're going to do it do it for your love of the game you know like your love of the genre and make it legit Blair Witch Project, they found this footage how many years later paranormal activity uh cloverfield the u.s department this is their video that they found and it's just like that's the way these are supposed to be done and they're supposed to feel realistic i don't want to watch a movie that's found footage and feel like i'm watching uh, back to the future mm-hmm. you know which is not a slam against back to the future obviously but i want if i'm watching a found footage film i want it to shock me to my core and i want to be scared because it seems like this is something legit that really happened and i'm watching the after effects of that now yeah mm-hmm. you know i think a lot of movies that don't set out to make a found footage film but set out to make a movie and want to capitalize on found footage those movies largely tell on themselves right and that comes out in more ways than one in the actual movie because at least my initial reaction to those movies when i finish them is always like well this didn't need to be found footage. You just have essentially like a filter. It kind of just feels like, oh, we're going to slap a filter on this because that's what's kind of hot at the moment. And it would be cool to do this as found footage, but doesn't really feel like that. Those types of movies are not always feeling as if they have a real understanding of found footage. And, you know, I said earlier, I don't necessarily have a lot of rules found footage have to go by, but you have to be able to, at the very least, justify wanting to be found footage um, to, you know, really capitalize yes. on that in its own way. Um, you know, Ken, you said earlier that you would love to see a seek like a direct sequel to Cloverfield or a sequel that, you know, returns to those characters. Um, and for you, Ashley, I'm curious, like, what would you want from a Cloverfield sequel or a continuation of the series? Would you want a continuation of the first film or would you be in favor of, you know, them experimenting maybe a little bit more with Cloverfield, kind of like they did with um, 10 Cloverfield Lane and uh, Paradox. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to see it, um, actually the monster maybe move on, you know, to a different city and maybe get new character development um, and see how he wreaks havoc on another city or, you know, other people. That's I just I- imagine Clovey with like a bindle. Like like, things like the homeless people have like this. leaving like, New York yeah. City. We're going <laughs> to Michigan now. Right. You know, Doing a world like, tour. Yeah. Detroit. <laughs> Detroit. Um, and and I, I agree with you. Like, I would love to see, you know, like even anything they could do to have Clovey again. But you can't fall into what I'm scared of would happen is they would fall into. We're going to film it like a Hollywood movie. We're going to show you the monster all the time. Uh, that's my biggest fear. But they have to use the same, um, you know, the same 
things from the first one. But the problem is, and, has that ship sailed? It's been 14 years. Uh, is this going to take place we, right afterwards? Like he's been walking back. around for 14 years. And, right. You know, like that's sometimes you have to have the essence of urgency when it comes to filmmaking for reasons like that. That's true. Because you can't pick up. I and mean, look at what Jigsaw did. You know, one of Jigsaw's biggest downfalls is it's supposed to be a prequel. And then you go watch it and they got modernized TVs and cell phones <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that. So I feel like that's one of the big things. It's, that's one with technology moving as fast as it is. You have to have urgency right now when filming to stay time continuity the same way mm-hmm. so that that's where i feel like that ship is sailed you can't say oh, or did the monster you know maybe the monster went back in the ocean yeah, and he's and been then dormant he's, and then another satellite yeah, fell woke back up yeah. you know and he's and, like this porridge is too hot just let me sleep right and so they come up and wreak havoc again yeah yeah i gotta say i think that's one of the cool things about cloverfield is that it's been this, you know, I call it a series and I say that very loosely, right? Because it's tied to an yeah. event, but it's not really tied to a singular event because of, you know, what Paradox discusses and these things of different dimensions or timelines and these things. But I just think it's so cool to have a horror series or franchise that you can't really define in a way, right? You know, you know, they definitely certainly share some similarities and characteristics in these things. Mm-hmm. But overall, like, I just love having a series that the potential could really be anything, right? And I think even along the lines of like, there was that rumor about um, Overlord, right? Being a prequel to Cloverfield or being related to that universe. Mm -hmm. And while that didn't really shape out, at the same time, the idea though, that you could have this world that is just filled with these weird horror science fiction elements behind different stories and whatnot throughout history, like that's a very cool premise or at least a cool idea or foundation, um, which makes, you know, whatever they do next with Cloverfield that much more exciting. I would be fine with either. Right. It's like, if we want to do a direct sequel or maybe within that sort of timeline, cool. Or if they want to go completely into left field with an idea that is unlike anything they've done before, I'm up for that too, because it's just, it's a world that again, it, it, it displays or shows a lot of intriguing ideas, but doesn't answer all of them, which is, Primarily what I want out of any movie. It essentially, the Cloverfield franchise is its own anthology. Every film is in the Cloverfield universe, but it's what Halloween was supposed to be. You know, and like, I'm I'm with you. Like, would I love to see a direct continuation of the first Cloverfield? Of course I would, because I love that movie, but I would end up bitching about it, I promise. I would. I'd be like, this is nothing out of the first. But I would love to see it continued as an anthology as well. You know, like continue it with different parts of the world or different yeah. timelines or different wormholes and, you know, space time continuum and stuff that I'm way too stupid to talk about, but entertain me is the bottom line. And I can honestly say that all three of the Cloverfield movies in this franchise are extremely entertaining all for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and the worst part about it was not knowing if they're going to be tied together. I and mean, we're to the point now to where, like you said, we've had Cloverfield, we've had Lane and we've had Paradox. Now we know that they're not going to be tied together in a nice little bow, but at least we know what's going on with Paradox and why we're getting different stories with the same name, with different timelines and alternate dimensions and Stephen Hawking shit that, again, I'm way too stupid to actually discuss, but that I love because I love anthologies. Mm-hmm. And so to see a whole franchise become an anthology of itself, it's sick. So well, sick. You know, even for me, like I didn't like Paradox, but I think that it it introduces an interesting concept that you know, if a more maybe capable director gets their hands on, it could yield some really interesting creative results. And again, they basically have freedom to do whatever they want, essentially, with those. 
Um, so it's the type of thing that uh, it could definitely make for a really exciting future for Cloverfield. And I guess, you know, of course, we'll have to wait and see. But uh, if we do end up getting another film, you know, hopefully before that, I'll have you guys back to chat horror again, because I always love connecting with the uh, the Sledgehammer yeah. Horror family and uh, catching up on some of our favorites and whatnot. But uh, before I let you guys go, as always, I'm appreciative of your time and chat and horror. But I want to let you guys plug your channel and socials because uh, your guys channel like just... In the short period of time since, you know, I've gotten to know you guys, uh, your channel has not only exploded with great, uh, great features and guests in these things, but also just, you know, you're connecting with other horror communities, other horror podcasts like myself. And it's been something really mm-hmm. great to see your guys growth. Well, thank you. I yeah. think the reason behind that, um, we're older, well, I'm older and, um, <laughs> you know, pre, a lot of people don't remember, but pre 1996, before Scream came out. It wasn't cool to like horror in March, April, and May. It was only October. Right. So I think that the reason we want to reach out to so many horror fans is because we know what it feels like to be weird and like horror in March, you know, and or January. Um, yeah, because they think you're going to be like a serial killer or something. Right. So we that's why we try to connect with as many different people and make as many different friends as we can. And uh, you can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash sledgehammer horror on Facebook and Instagram at sledgehammer horror. And on Twitter at Sledgehammer Horror, H-O-R. Um, we do a segment called My First Horror Movie where I bring on guests, uh, celebrities, podcasters, YouTubers. Talk about the first horror movie they watched and how it affected them. Um, we do a segment called Versus where we take an original versus a remake and um, give things that we like from both of them and then verse them against each other. And then we do another segment called Didn't See That Coming where we watch a movie with a twist and kind of give... Um, like our feelings on it and how it impacted us. A really, really in-depth review about movies with twist endings and how they can be mm-hmm. um, beneficial to the genre. And, you know, that's another thing with the horror genre. I feel like it really started the twist ending with Psycho and the, you know stuff like that. So um, it's, I think that no movie can do a twist like horror unless you're Fight Club. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it's uh, you know, we just have a blast doing this. And anytime we get to work with you, whether it's on our channel or your channel, it's always an honor. It's something we've been looking forward to all day. And obviously, we took it serious enough to watch the movie right beforehand, <laughs> right. so we actually knew what the hell we were talking about. So uh, yeah, anytime we get to work with you, man, it's truly an honor. So thank you for the invite back on, and we know we'll have you back on our channel here before too long, too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm glad you guys had as much fun as I did, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you guys again in the future. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you again for listening to another episode of Daily Horror Habit. You can follow the show on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod or give me a follow at NotFunnyJ. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you guys next week.